Welcome to Vino Week, episode 47. Welcome. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. Let's talk wine. Yeah, there's lots to talk about. In We are in the uh, the depths of summer here in beautiful Sonoma County. Yeah, and you so know, it's... Bill, it, hasn't, it has not been that hot, my friend. We, no. we haven't really had that heat wave yet here, although they've had it in Europe. Yeah. Breaking some records over there, man, in France. Um, I think uh, they were talking 45 Celsius. What What is that? That's holy smokes. That's hella hot. That's, yeah. I want to say that's, that's like one, 110. Yeah, that's that's pretty hot. But they, they say that they broke the temperature in um, southern France by three degrees from the from that big heat wave they had back in uh, 2003. So is that three degrees Celsius or? Uh, ooh, that's a good question because that's a big, that's a big, uh, you know, it's not clear in the article. This is, um, yeah. it's 113, 45 to 113. Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. That's I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I wasn't experiencing it. That's all I got to say. It's like yeah. being in Sacramento. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah, exactly. It's like being in the Mojave. Um, yeah. That's uh, that's hot. Well, obviously, there's a lot to dis- discuss on this topic, you know, via heat waves. What, you know, where it relates to to um, people that grow things, farmers, is that, you know, grapevines in particular, they grow in a specific band um, on the earth. And, um, you know, once you get outside the the uh, the the lower and higher extremities of that band, you become it becomes difficult to grow your base varietals like Cabernet, Chardonnay, Syrah, Zinfandel, blah, blah, blah. And you have to go into what they call hybrids, which are a little bit more sturdier, can take colder extremes and can take warmer extremes. So if you're a vintner in France, in Southern France, and you're growing um, Syrah and Grenache, you know, you probably are getting a little bit worried that the temperatures are getting a little too high. And what some of the vintners are doing now is they're planning in advance for this change in the weather that seems to be continuing for whatever reason. Uh, and they're starting to plant different varieties, and some of them are starting to uh, plant actually uh, white varieties because uh, not only are the temperatures getting higher, but as the temperature gets higher, and the harvests get shorter, um, the um, the grapes get a little bit riper, and the um, the end result is you get these wines that become a little bit unbalanced because the alcohol is so high. So if you blend in some white grapes, that can uh, ameliorate the blend and make the wines a little bit more palatable. What do you say about this, Bill? Yeah, I think that that's... Um, you know, I don't know that people understand that there's this, you know, band of longitude or latitude, I guess, where, you know, these things are growing. Um, and that, you know, if you're you're going to use these hybrid grapes, you're going to get a pretty different tasting uh, bottle of wine. But a lot of this is related to climate change because those bands are shifting around. Um, in fact, I know, you know, we've talked about before on the podcast in terms of uh, the temperatures getting warmer. And, you know, places that weren't necessarily able to, you know, weren't necessarily good places to grow certain varietals here in California are now becoming. And I think, you know, in Northern California and Humboldt and Trinity and Siskiyou up in the Siskiyous, Trinity Alps and those kinds of places, you know, they're starting to see Pinot grow there where it wasn't before. Um, 
so yeah i mean all this stuff's interesting and there's a a lot of uh articles that we've seen the past couple of weeks talking about wineries kind of taking this on in terms of not only their process but their packaging yeah definitely with the with the packaging um there's an article um there's an article i believe it's the washington post and it talks about um what wineries are doing to um to make the energy that they use a little bit greener um and uh, one of the ways to do that is uh, actually it's almost like this this article it seems like um, almost a puff piece for uh, Jackson Family Wines but Jackson Family Wines I mean to their credit they're doing some pretty incredible things um, they own a lot of um, real estate um, they make a lot of wine and um, I mean the company Jackson Family Wines is I think they got like 40 different wineries yeah so it's a yeah. billion it's a billion dollar wine company and it controls a, a portion of the overall business a, a, yeah. you know double digit percentage if I'm not mistaken so it and to your and to your point and to their credit they've made part of their corporate goals you know responsibility in terms of their you know of their footprint in ter- of man in you know with regard to manufacturing and production so that says a lot I mean it yeah it, it they are kind of extolling their virtues but you know they've you know, they were early, early, you know, um, in terms of wineries, you know, harvesting solar energy, but they have seven and a half or 7.1 megawatts of electricity on their, on their winery. And they, they have, they own a brand that's, you know, that people will know. So they own La Crema and it's a big, you know, Al and I have talked about its production facility before, which is out by the airport. It's big. It's a big place. It consumes a lot of energy and it uses a lot of water. So that for them to sort of think about this, I think is a good thing. There are also, um, I know of local breweries, for example, that are um, making use of like heat exchange and recycling their water. So, you know, these companies are being, you know, they're thinking about the impact they make, which, you know, in the purest form of capitalism goes against their corporate mission. <laughs> that is not maximizing their shareholders' value when they can buy energy cheaper somewhere else and the water is the same price. It doesn't matter. And having to spend the money that they're spending to do this, I think, is great. And they even have a goal of being, what, four? Um, they want to add another... They want to be 50% um, Basically, carbon. Yeah. Well, 50% producing their own energy needs. And of course, they're continuing to think about their carbon footprint in terms of this article, which is talking about a two, a two ounce reduction in the weight of their bottles. So if you think about how big La Crema is and their shipping bottles that are now 17 and a half ounces versus 19, that consumes a heck of a lot more energy. And they had to go to their manufacturers and say they wanted to do this. This was not something that the manufacturer took to them or was on the market they drove this change and i and i and others well as well because i assume the bottles are probably over time going to be cheaper and i think the other thing is their bottles are 65 percent of them are or 65 percent of their glasses recycled glass which is yeah, not nobody not typical most most wine bottles are not recycled most people do not recycle their wine bottles which cans are in there's another article we have about can versus bottle in terms of recycling. Almost all of cans are recycled, something like that. 
or they get 65 percent of the material in the cans recycled they can be back on the shelf in like 60 days i mean it's they're they're like super awesome packaging and if you like beer that's a good thing yeah now if, if you're talking about you know wineries that are gee we need a winery that's going to be like the epitome of of uh moving in the green direction you know definitely jackson family wines is that winery i mean they're using things like um they just put these in they have they use you know whenever you have a when you store wine in a a, a big tank you know say it's in a big four thousand gallon tank a stainless steel tank you move it from one vessel to the next well you got to clean the tank yep typical standard winery operation thing is you know first thing you do is you you know you hook up a pump and you you pump some water in there and you wash it out first with a little water and then you put in like a cleaning solution and then you wash that out and then you put in some citric acid. I mean, there's, there's this whole protocol and it yeah. all involves using a lot of water. Yeah. And it has and, to, you have to, because the thing's not clean then your wine's going to go bad. Yeah. So I mean, it's they, like, you gotta be clean. They, they figured out a way to sanitize their tanks so that they can put, you know, uh, enough fresh uh, crop of wine in there. And they use ultraviolet light to do it. I haven't yeah. seen the machine work, but I'd like to check it out. That's, That's cool. one of the things they're doing. I mean, yeah. just imagine all the water that they're saving just Man. by just by instituting that. Yep. Um, instead of using uh, frost protection out and using water, which is typically uh, a lot of vintners, if it's going to freeze, they it's turn easy. on the sprinklers. Yep. And that uh, saves the crop. It's real easy. It's the way that you used to do it back in the 40s and 50s. Well, they don't do that anymore. They're using wind. They've got... Um, They've got uh, windmills, the, uh, helicopters out yeah, injured, man. That too. You know, yep. that's what they're doing. And yep. uh, so they're saving, um, they're saving tons of water. I think in this article said the companies reduced their water use by sixty percent, which is crazy. Amazing. Yeah, that's, that's, just, that's thousands. Amazing. That's tens of thousands of gallons of water, probably. Yeah. And not, uh, and you know, we live in California. Water is a precious commodity yeah. in our area, and yeah. so. Um, I mean, they really, they really should be applauded for this effort. Uh, a little bit further down in the article, um, I think one of the main people uh, that's also part of they're, they're in a um, collaboration with uh, uh, Porto Protocol, yeah. and that's another uh, wine industry group that's uh, based out of Porto, which is the big city in uh, the Douro region in Portugal. And uh, these people are, I mean, these are high-end uh, companies that have been around for hundreds of years that make uh, a high-quality product, and they are making a con they're making a concerted effort to really face this climate change issue, and they're, they're firm believers in it. And uh, so it's uh, you know it's, it'll be interesting to see how much of you know if you got the big gun like uh, Jackson Family Wines going around and they're doing these t types of things. It's going to be hard for other companies of that size or lesser to, to not take notice and see what's going on. Because I think consumers, especially consumers out here, they're going to see value in that. This is a company that makes good wine. This is a company that cares about the environment that we live in. They care about the future. I'm going to support them. Yeah, yeah. Support and them. the millennials are definitely aligned with that thinking, which is a market everybody's trying to crack. Uh, in the wine world, so it tells a good story. The you know the other thing to be said about all of this is it it ultimately is good business in the short term and the long run. So for example, in the short term, 
I believe their head of production said by lightening the bottles, they saved a million dollars in 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 costs in a year. Um, wow, that's yeah. I mean, so that's a lot of glass, but you know, you think about transportation costs and everything else. The other thing, yeah, you know, this UV light thing um, is probably another good example of where you know thinking about thinking about how to do things in a different way in a more climate friendly planet friendly way in a less consumption based way might actually be cheaper and and better like the uv light actually might be more sanitary in the long term so yeah. minimizing the amount of detergents and cleaners they use but still doing that so it it follows some type of you know rinsing the tank you definitely have to obviously want to rinse the tank and try to get any any flavor anything that might anything left over out of there but you can use a fraction of the water and then you can be a hundred percent sure that the thing has no bugs in it because the uv light zapped it all um yeah. and you know it's like and who knows it might even be faster so that's it's just good business when you think about conserving i always think of a comet climate change to me comes right back to conservation the more that we conserve other resources the better off we'll be and that's really where you know you know, I don't have to spray water in my vineyards to keep them alive in the winter. I can use a fan that I power off a battery that I'm storing elect, um, solar energy in. Anyway, good stuff. I agree. I agree. I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, innovators in that in that part of the business, man. That's that's just the way to go. Yeah, for sure. The other article that we have that I really liked is a discussion about is uh, you know our cans, um, you know better than bottles in terms of recycling which is more sustainable it's a forbes article and so you know both of them have their pros and cons they do interestingly enough unrelated mention jackson in their um the amount of uh they don't actually mention them lowering the weight of the bottle but they actually mention the amount of recycled glass that they use in the bottle right um, which they drove from their you know they drove their suppliers to do but when you think about it in the whole context, so that means, you know, getting the bottles to a recycling facility, recycling it and all the costs and transportation and and um, um, actually remanufacturing or, you know, recreating the, the can or bottle. A lot of it, you know, there's stuff that adds up on both sides. So it it. Um, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of the jury's out is kind of what this article is saying, you know, in terms of pros and cons, uh, between there isn't one clear winner in terms of the recycling game here or the sustainability game. Yeah. That's what I got out of it. Also. And another thing I got out of it was I'm looking at the photos very carefully is that if you're, if you're a camper, you're clearly in the, uh, canned wine mode. I mean, you know, who, who's going to be out backpacking and, uh, you know, going and, and camping and stuffing bottles of wine in their in their gear? But, hey, Jack is you know what? I, I, in here. I, you know, I, you know, transporting. So it's all a matter of how much weight you want to carry. Um, it's never stopped my consumption of my favorite beverages, be it in a can or a bottle. I was more concerned about leaks than I was anything else. <laughs> so yeah it's uh yeah so that you know and often if you're really so the real hardcore people who have to have alcohol you know they're carrying their flask full of their favorite <laughs> spirit because it doesn't weigh that much exactly. they can still have their a couple sips of whiskey before or after dinner 
Um, oh, I, I don't mind humping a wine bottle. It hasn't hurt me before. Um, yeah, uh, the other thing I... Uh, so we were talking before we started a couple of things I've noticed recently. So I noticed a lot. Um, I've noticed more and more uh, brewers are, are canning versus uh, putting things in bottles, especially if they have a beer that has a has a fairly good distribution. So mm-hmm. as an example, Moonlight Brewing, you know, for years their flagship beer has been called Death and Taxes, which is a black lager. Um, and they've canned that for quite a while. It was never, I don't think I ever saw it in bottles. I definitely saw it in cans. Um, just recently they started canning their Pilsner, which, you know, either they've got the distribution for or they've got enough demand for. Um, I've also noticed import. I was showing Al a, uh, a can of this uh, Radeberg Pilsner. Uh, which is a German Pilsner I've seen in bottles. They've also in cans. This is also a beer I remember getting a mini keg. Um, you could buy it in this like little, uh, probably a 32 ounce can that looked like a keg and it had a tap on it. So you could literally tap it. It came with a little tap. So, but this isn't, I've seen Guinness beers. Um, I've seen uh, an Icelandic beer recently. So uh, import beers, and they're, I'm, you know, if you're a beer drinker um, and a wine drinker, I guess they're all live products. So cans can be, you know, m- you know, it can be packaged. So the amount of uh, air that gets in the can is <laughs> virtually none, um, you know, and then and the light also, which is a big thing with beers. And then there's no light. light. It can yep. go off and go yep. off really easily. Yep. You know, I don't remember, I, you know, I'm showing my age a little bit here. I, you know, I grew up in an age when, you know, stuff that was put in cans was, you know, that was the crappy beer that was put in cans. And that's not, that's not what it's like anymore. anymore. Yeah. You know, that, that truly is not the case anymore. And I don't ever remember ever seeing a Pilsner, a high quality Pilsner put in a can. That's ridiculous, man. It would always be in a glass bottle. You know, that was just the, that was just the way it was. So it, the whole perception of, you know, which format, you know, your adult beverage in is definitely changing. And it's growing in leaps and bounds, but it's still such a minute, small part of the market. And one of the things I noticed when I was uh, on on the Twitter a few days ago, there was uh, a a person I followed. She noted that, and she's in England. She goes, why is it that um, all of the canned options that you have for wine, why are they uh, made by such, you know, um, why are they so ordinary, basically? Why, Why is the product so so average and you know part of the re- one of the reasons is that you know you're not going to have a small provider you know a company you know i don't know you got a um i just i don't know how you do it in barrels but just say you got a, a winery and they're producing four thousand cases it's a lot to change over a line just to change the format size on the bottle so you're bottling 750s and you want to bottle 350, 375s. It's it's really you know it's a lot of energy, and it's a it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of cost to do that. And that's why you don't see a bunch of half balls around. Imagine having to switch over and switch your line over and and do cans. So typically you see larger operations that that do this. They handle all different types of packaging, and you know it's it's no big deal for them to do a line change especially some of these bigger operations that i've actually been in here in sonoma county 
they'll have two or three bottling lines or production lines. Well, they'll have one line that may be cranking out one and a half liter bottles. They'll have another line that's cranking out cans and another line that might be, you know, cranking out, you know, um, 375. So it's just, they could have three separate lines running simultaneously. That's a lot. Um, that's a lot of product though. Yeah. And, and little, um, it's not cheap to have those that. things either. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I was told by a brewer here in town, um, they don't, they're, they've subsequently gone out of business that there was no way even, and somebody had, and uh, even with sort of this idea around mobile, like a mobile, a mobile canner or bottler mm-hmm. that like a small brewery could ever produce enough to make it economically viable, which I, 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 at some level, I guess I understand, but you know, the, you know, that comes down to your production ingredient costs ultimately, but they, uh, it is interesting. I'm seeing more and more of the kind of to your point about, you know, a good beer didn't come in a can. It came in a bottle, a quality beer, you know, the cheap beer did and how that's, that's changing. And I think part of the reason it's changing is because of the health of the, you know, the, the quality of the product remains higher and longer if you can it versus putting it in a bottle. Plus they're, I, I think it's probably, they're probably lighter. So your transportation costs are less, you know, who's ever got to pay well, transportation. Yeah. I, I call it the Budweiser factor. Well, but that's, you know, those guys are, you know, go to, you have to go to, a, um, to, un, I, you know, I would say anybody that is interested in this type of stuff, production, bottling and costs, you have to go see these things in operation to understand how big they are. Budweiser yeah. in the beer world, they talk about millions of cases, the Budweiser factory in Susan City, which is what an hour away from us, that thing produces, I think, close to two million cases of beer a year. And mm-hmm. I bet you they can retool that factory to make different beers uh, every day or every, you know, every couple of times a day, if not, uh, you know, every hour. Absolutely. So, you know, they that is a completely different um, beast in terms, and they are making the same small number of products every day the same way they've been doing it for you know what close to a century now i think um we're getting there but they and they you know any hey look they they have rail cars full of grain coming and coming in there you know i mean it's it's a factory it's a factory it's just different so and they can afford to have you know a, a good example i wonder i don't know if you've seen the commercial but they have brought back a a uh, an amber version of Budweiser, so it's got different ingredients. It's a beer that they actually brewed during the um, when the Apollo Apollo Eleven. So it's a commemorative beer they're doing it um, in recognition of the moon of the moon landing in '69. So they're smaller bottles. They're the rounder. Remember the round Bud bottles? They were almost completely round with the little snout top. A little nipple on the top. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Little snout top. So. You know, I wonder how much that co- it probably cost them a fair amount of money to do that. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, one of the things about this, you know, alternative packaging, I guess, is what I'm going to. That's call what it. they call it. That's what the industry yeah. calls it. You know, it's not yeah. mainstream yet. One of the cool things about it is what I like about it is the size. 
you can custom tailor the sizes. So, you know, one of the things that we're always dealing with, (laughs) people that are, we're always dealing with. Every consumer is. I know exactly what you're going to say. Go ahead. Open up a bottle of wine. It's like, you don't want to drink the whole bottle of wine. I don't. I don't. I and I don't necessarily drink a whole like regular pour when I drink. So yeah. there, there's many nights where I want like two of those and not, and that probably adds up to a glass and a half. Yeah. So that's where my these, wife doesn't even like the wine. This yeah. is where the different packages yeah, come. Hundred percent. I could just pop this. I can consume the whole thing. I'm 100%. not consuming more than I want. Yep. It's custom tailored for me. It makes more sense. Yeah. It just yep. really does. But you know, it's like anything else. It's gonna you know. Oh, the consumer is gonna is the consumer is already embracing it. Like you said, when you went to Bottle Barn, you say they've got this new, they've got another just, aisle. There was like, all these different packages. Yep. But, you know, yep. and that wasn't that certainly wasn't the case in Bottle Barn. The only thing they had in different packages might have been, uh, I mean, they they had like Boda Box or they did have some bag in the box stuff, but I'm nothing like what they have there now. Wine, yeah, there was wine in cans. Plus, there's just a whole, you know, there's been a it's a couple of couple of reasons for that maybe a bottle barn as i i did say that but i'm thinking about it now there are new owners there so you know they might you know maybe they're responding to demand somehow i also there's been a lot of um in fact i uh, in fact there's been a lot of uh a lot of uh an explosion if you will in in, in sort of in canned drinks uh, canned spirit drinks so mm-hmm. you know they're oh that's true yeah you know so costco's made popular the fizzy water with fla- with fruit flavorings and like grain alcohol it's like everclear they call yeah. it white claw so you see, i see cases of that stuff floating around um bartles and james i was in whole foods the other day they had bartles and james in cans I didn't even know they still made that. Yeah, neither did I. I laughed. <laughs> I saw it. I laughed. I'm like, Bartles and James. Wow. Well, somebody's yeah. buying isn't it, right? That a, isn't that a, uh, a Suter Home product? Sutter Home? No, Bartles and uh, James. That's a Gallo did? product. Oh, Gallo. Gallo. Yeah, that's right. Gallo product. Yeah. Yeah. So that anyway. Isn't a Gallo product. <laughs> you responded to the market, man. It's back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know a handful of millennials. They would love all of them. Would love Bartles and James. They'd love it. Yeah, it's it's so it's it's delicious. It's, perfect, man. it's good stuff. You know, there's it's nothing cool. not to like about it. It's cool. It's wine Kool Aid, literally. <laughs> anyway, that's good. Well, it's it, I'm, you know, the net net. I think on all this stuff is the more that we have conversations about this and the consumers demand these types of things, the the better environmentally friendly packaging we're going to get and we're going to make businesses responsible for thinking about how they make things um, mm-hmm. and doing it in a way that's not only so I think that you know there was some capital expenditure that had to happen in the case of, of Jackson but the net net is it's going to be cheaper in the long run for making these changes significantly and so the more that we demand this stuff's great the other thing kind of to your point these this packaging tends to be more convenient i would argue more often than not so your camping example you gave um you know it's a lot i don't you know i put these in the back of my car i'm not worried about them flying out and breaking um i mean yeah i mean if i have a hard hit one of my puncture and shoot beer all over the car or wine as the case may be but i don't know 
and they certainly are lighter than glass bottles. So I think that's some pretty good. crazy driving. I don't see you doing that, Bill. Uh, be, you know, you've clearly not ridden with me yet. Ask my <laughs> my sons are when both of them are telling on me today. <laughs> my oh, yeah. driving a little fast. Um, well, we got room for one more article. What do you want? Oh, uh, we got to do we got to do VJ just because he's our favorite friend. Okay, let me let me pull him up. That guy is so awesome. Hey, man, he's working the system. Man. Oh man, who's VJ? Bill, start off. So he's he uh, he is the proprietor and owner of the Kingfisher Empire in in uh, in India, and so he. Uh, he had an airline, a brewing company. I think he he was a conglomerate of many businesses. He took out uh, a bunch of loans from people and uh, and from the government and said he didn't have to pay them back, I believe. And he continues to lead the high life. Um, most recently, let's see, he he's got a year. He's living in England now. He's <laughs> the, the federal government of India basically uh, you know issued a. A warrant for his arrest. So they need to adopt hey, bounty hunting in India. That guy'd be back in India in a heartbeat. They want him to come back, and they just want to have a, a few words with him. That's all. They just yeah. want to talk to him. So okay. So this one, this one article I'm looking at. So this is the 15th of May. He was. He's he, <laughs> the Swiss are after him now. He's done for. Um, Swiss UBS Bank, United Bank of Switzerland. Um, they've sought possession of his home apartment home because he's not paid any of his 2.4 20.4 million pound loan back which is probably what 36 it's uh probably what almost 30 30 million dollars what a surprise he hasn't paid back his loans yeah but he went to court and negotiated a year to kind of figure out what's what's gonna happen Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. But this guy's done for. I mean he owns interest of like eight hundred eight hundred thousand dollars in interest. Um Yeah, it's 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 always interesting to see what, what uh our, our man VJ's up. But he has definitely a, avoided uh, extradition. So um he's got like you said, he's got another year. And uh, you know, I think he I think he might be able to make good on that loan. I'm not sure how he's gonna do it, but I think he still has material assets. Um Yeah you know, in India. And then the last article, I'd, we'll leave VJ for now. We'll do him a full treatment once some of the additional court cases end up against him, is uh, yep. an article you sent over about um, uh, our, our the Rothschilds have, uh, Lafitte, Lafitte has uh, released their first ever Chinese wine, Lung Dai, which is supposed to sell for 2,500 cases. And they have... A, uh, a winery in China in Bengali, which I'm not sure where in China that is. I think it says it here. Now, how do you say that name again? It's it's lung it's lung lung die l u it to us it would be l u n g d y e lung die. Okay, lung die, lung, lung die. Uh, and anyone who is Chinese who is listening to us try to pronounce it, please don't take offense. I wonder what that means. I wonder what lung die means. It doesn't say know. in the article. You can, I'm just curious. Yeah, you look in the interwebs. Um, so, but, uh, you know, yeah, this is a property that's obviously uh, got the best of everything. Um, you know, it's owned by the, the Rothschilds. So um, they're, uh, you know, the Rothschilds, if anybody doesn't know, that's um, 
they're they're essentially um, uh, bankers that got into the wine business, and uh, they have high end properties uh, in South America. Um, they have uh, high end properties uh, kind of all over the world, actually. Yeah. Well, and you would say, on... yeah, you would say they are market makers, right? Yeah. I mean, they're market makers on many levels in terms of their. Well, they're being compared to the the house of of uh, of you know Hermé, right? So it. Yeah. You know, their competitors not, are OVHA. They, they haven't, they haven't, uh, this is like something, you know, they just decided a couple of, you know, years ago to do. They, this has been a project they've been working on for like 10 or 15 years now. Oh, nine, they purchased 400 hectares of land. Uh, it's in Shandong province. So it's, um, and it's near a city, evidently, Pengali's a coastal city. Um, so they just, well, according to this article, they've been in, they've been in it for 10 years now. Yep. So, um, you know, they got long-term aspirations. They're going to turn out a high-end product. Um, they're going to charge top dollar for this high-end product. Um, what I found interesting was in this article is all of the measures they've used to make sure the wine can't be counterfeited, which is a huge problem in the Far East. I mean, counterfeit wine is... I think there's probably, you know, it seems like from all the articles I read that there's more counterfeit wine than <laughs> there is, you know, legit wine. Yeah, that's probably so, true. So it's 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 really a big deal, but they've done all kinds of things. They've got um, an NFC tag that's actually embedded in the capsule. Um, you can, uh, when you get the bottle, they have a special label on the bottle that has, um, it has engraved circles that are, that are hidden into it and you can soak the label off, but those circles won't even come off when the labels, <laughs> when the yeah, label's labels removed. Yep. So, and, and you can, uh, you, when you get your bottle, you can, uh, sync it up with your smartphone and you can tell, you know, where it's been, where it's traveled, if it's ever been opened. You know, I mean, this is, they've really put a lot of work into this. Yeah. And uh, that's going to protect, obviously, that's going to protect their brand. But this is something that, that other people are going to be actually using also. I mean, the whole idea that you can uh, scan your bottle of Long Dye with your smartphone and, uh, you know, it activates an NFC chip that tells, uh, you know, sends a, a code to, you know, some some spot and then you can look back and they can tell you if that bottle is genuine or not. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing stuff going on there. It is. And it, these guys are figuring out how to operate in China. So it's pretty cool. I, you know, the, uh, the anti, uh, counterfeiting packaging is, is, is fascinating. And I, you're going to see more and more of it. Um, and also, if you know, I don't know if stuff. you know, not, but China is, uh, right behind the U S in um, total production of wine produced, they're directly behind us, and they will be passing us soon, yes. probably. Yeah, yeah. So I don't uh, know if they, you want they're to becoming quite a powerhouse. I haven't had any Chinese wine, have you? <laughs> no. no, no, I'll take that back. I did have some Chinese wine maybe about eight, nine, ten years ago, quite a while back. It was awful. Yeah, I'm. It's <laughs> it's yeah. I I mean I'm laughing. I mean, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. It's just like you know. I mean, how many years have been out in the States and it's still, you know, the French have to be howling $3,300 a bottle for this stuff. How many, how much more, how many more grapes can you get out of that soil? 
So anyway, yes, I mean, I think it's, uh, I, I think that's pretty cool. That's something definitely to keep an eye on. I definitely hey, I wonder what this tastes like. I really, I mean, it's far, they say it's farmed in granite, farmed in granite soil. Mm. Wow. What did you do? Like drill a hole into a rock and put some soil in there? Like do the vines <laughs> growing like... out of that thing? What is that all about? It sounds like uh, some of those, uh, yeah. Well, that's, they like do granite. that in other areas, so why not there? I guess. I guess. Hey, um, real quick, I don't want to, um, I, I, we might get stuck on this, but uh, did you see the, um, did you see the um, the interview that uh, Blake Gray did with uh, Autumn Shelton of Autumn Brands? No. no. Well, he interviews her. She's a cannabis farmer. And you're um, talking about. Is that Carol? Like Carol, one of Carol Shelton's children? I don't know. She looks, you know, what's weird about it is she kind of looks a little bit like her and she has that blonde hair, that long blonde hair. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But um, one of the parts in this article, they talk about a whole bunch of things. She farms cannabis organically and there's a whole bunch of issues. Um, as you know, here in California, it's, it's recently been um, it's been it's been approved. They're trying to bring it out into the light, and um, the government's trying to you know take a piece of the cut because the product's been been sold for decades and decades underground. But uh, one of the things that she does bring up is that they're coming at a point. One of one of his questions is: um, Is there a risk of a glut of weed? with not enough buyers, and he asked her if she's seeing that. She says there's always a risk uh, of too many cultivators and not enough market for it, but she really hasn't seen that there's a problem. What she notices is that um, because of the way the product flows into the market, you know, in the spring, um, you know, you get all this product and then it goes away and then the price starts to go up. And then once the next crop comes in, you get a bit a, a bunch of stuff coming in and the price goes down again. So what, what she's dealing with is the fluctuation in the price is more of a concern than the market being saturated at this point. And one of the other points that she brings up is, and this is a problem that we're having in Santa Rosa, is you have all of these commercial um, properties that are being converted to cultivate uh, cannabis and some of them are following the rules and some of them aren't and what I mean by the rules is um, there's a you know cannabis it, it smells and you, have, you I mean, it, it stinks so you have this cannabis operation you know not too far from you know a school or from uh, or from a residential area you know and these guys they don't have the, the proper um, uh, protocol to, to, to mitigate um, the smells that are coming out of the plant and it's driving people crazy you know so she talks about that how, how there's there's good players and, and then there's also bad actors but I found that an interesting uh, an interesting article you should check it out if you get a chance I'll, I will definitely check it out I mean it, it is it it it's interesting so I periodically just anecdotally I periodically listen to uh, the radio station one of the radio stations in in Eureka and Arcata, which is you know the central center of Humboldt County, mm -hmm. he's a county seat, and the 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 advertise. I mean, it's even crazy up here, right? I mean, you listen to a local radio station here, and there's you know smoke shops that are actively selling um, what would get you arrested in Texas <laughs> as you know drug paraphernalia. Um, yeah, 
but they were calling on farmers to um, uh, uh, um, sign up with a processing facility for cannabis. So they refine the cannabis. They basically refine cannabis oil out of the uh, uh, out of the out of the marijuana, and that oil can go into anything, right? It can be mm-hmm. yep. you can you know smoke it or put it in you know edible type stuff or you know just use the oil as is. They already have eighty five thousand pounds um, committed for this year, and they probably they think they do a sixty forty split. In terms of the of the proceeds from the processing, so that business didn't exist last year. Last year, oh, and what's... it was his first year in operation, and now they're advertising on the radio, and they have. I mean, think about eighty five thousand pounds. That's you know how many tons is that? That's that's two thousand pounds a ton. I mean, that's a lot of. Wow, I was just like blown away. Well, and that's I bet like... you the reason. I bet you the reason why they have that. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just speculating. I'm, I'm using logic here, yeah. but the reason they would have all that oil is because the oil lasts longer than the product itself, than the leaf or the flower. Yeah, I, so absolutely. If you, uh, so the flowers yeah. got an infinite lifespan, but the oil probably could keep for friggin' for, who knows how long. Yep. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, well, and if you, if, if, down, if you got a yeah. surplus, yeah. you know, it's a great thing a to lot. do. Well, plus the other thing, interestingly enough, I read an article, um, it's probably about a year ago. A lot of the farmers in Humboldt that grow marijuana and were not, they were not, um, they were recycling their uh, trim. Yeah. So, you know, these people are growing, you know, these are like large farms, right? That's 20 acres of like planted marijuana. So it's, you know, that's a lot of plants. And yes, that yes. all of that plant, as I understand it, or the majority of it has, you can get the oil out of it. So, you know, the, even the leaves and some of the stems, now you got to break it down and refine it. But I, I was just, it, it, it's very, all of this used to be underground and now it's scaling up and out in public. And it's fascinating to me to watch, um, you know, and a large part and parcel of the driver of this business was a former member of the Board of Equalization of, of California for San Francisco, Fiona Ma. I think it was Fiona Ma who was like, well, there's a billion dollar industry we were getting no taxes from. It's stupid. Yeah, um, yeah. I just thought that was, I mean, that wasn't the key reason, but it, it was interesting the government started to take notice because of that. Now, of course, you know, medical marijuana was legal at the time. Um, Anyway, uh, interesting Blake, stuff. I'll have to read yeah, Blake the. Does a, Blake yeah. does a great job, man. Uh, one of his another one of his great questions is, "Do you pair cannabis with wine?" He asked her that, and her answer is great. She goes, "I prefer one or the other," and then yeah. she explains why. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, kind of each uh, each product has a place. You know, and this is where I use this one. And this is where I use the other one. You know, it's just another yeah. spice of life. Well, Bill, uh, we should, uh, I think we're running up, we're running up against it. Um, you know, I, uh, I got, a, a several really cool wines that I've tried, but we don't have time to talk about them. But, um, when we put, when we put out the podcast, um, I'll have a link to my, uh, my thoughts on them and what they are. One of them's, uh, one of them you'd be interested in. It's called, um, uh, Alanera. Yeah. 
and uh, Alanera is um, Alanera, I believe, is like a blackbird, but oh, yeah. um, label's got three uh, three crows or blackbirds on it. It's a wine made by Zanato, and it's called a, a Rosso Veronese, Ver- hmm. and essentially it's uh, Corvina, which is a, the grape that's used for used for uh, the main grape for Val Policella. It's cut with a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon and some Merlot. Oh boy, I bet that's and delicious. It's it's one of the best bottles of wine I've had, especially at this price point. In uh, in, a, in a, probably like this month, I mean, or oh. last month. It's been a, it's been a good one. Um, it's I can't believe the price on it. I mean, it's. It's like thirteen bucks, That's... and man, it it drinks incredibly well. So I'll uh, I'll give some notes on that. Yeah, you have to. And also had a... Yeah. What's that? No, go ahead. I also had um, uh, just recently, just on the top of my top of my head, I had a, a another wine from uh, uh, Quivera. Had one of their Grenaches, uh, an older one, man. Those, yeah, those guys, such good wine there. <laughs> my mouth is like watering when you said Quivera. I mean, that's yeah, when, you, when you open up their bottle, it's like you don't even have to. It, it's like there's no doubt, man, even before you open it up. Yeah. And then you open it up, I pour a glass, I give it to my wife, and she goes, Man, that's good wine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it's good wine. And another producer that's uh, all about sustainability and has been for a long, long time. Yeah. yeah. All, all right. right. Well, have a good one. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening.